Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Okay, so very good morning to everybody and welcome to IPC's second quarter results and operations update presentation. My name is Mike Nicholson, I'm the CEO. Also joining me this morning is Christoph Nergararian, the, the CFO, and Rebecca Gordon, who's the VP of Investor Relations and Corporate Planning. I'll begin in the usual fashion by walking through the operations update for the second quarter and then I'll pass the presentation across to Christoph. He'll take you through the financial numbers for the second quarter. And then at the end of the presentations, you'll have the opportunity um, to ask questions. And so you can dial in um, on the conference call and you can also send in your questions via email. So to get started uh, with the highlights for the, for the second quarter, it's been a very, very strong quarter for the company. You're gonna see good operational delivery from all of our asset teams across the business. We've obviously had improving commodity prices, stronger benchmark oil prices. We've had strong gas prices in Canada, um, and we've also had tight differentials. And the combination of those two you're going to see have fed into very, very strong financial performance. And we're upgrading our production um, and our financial guidance um, across all of the key metrics. So to get started um, on production, second quarter production averaged 44,600 barrels of oil per day. And that was the second quarter in succession that was above our high-end guidance. And as a result of that very strong performance in the first half, uh, we're now revising our full year production guidance to in excess of 44,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. And in our first quarter presentation, we'd been expecting the full year production to be heading towards 43,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. And we'll get into it in the presentation, but with the extra 25% uh, interest on our Bertam field and with B prime ramping up, we now expect to be exiting 2020-21 with production in excess of 45,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. And again, previously our guidance was 40, 3,000 per day. OPEX for the second quarter was exactly in line with guidance at $15.60 per BOE. Uh, we are slightly revising up our full year guidance to now $15.50 per barrel, and that's largely a result of higher gas prices, which is good because it affects our, our revenue line, and we have been increasing some of our higher marginal cost production in Canada. So both positives that are feeding into that increased guidance and Christoph will refer to that in his presentation. The 2021 capital program is also being increased by $36 million to, to now $73 million. You recall in our February Capital Markets Day presentation that we'd set a very conservative capital budget for 2021. It was gonna be more than fully funded but less than $40 per barrel Brent. So with the stronger oil prices that we've seen, um, we're gonna move forward with some very high return, quick payback projects. And I'll touch upon 
uh, both of those later in the presentation. Essentially, it's the infill drilling campaigns at Onion Lake Thermal in Canada and our Bertam project in Malaysia. And we also have some additional optimization projects in both Canada and Malaysia. Cash flow was very strong during the second quarter. Our operating cash flow was $67 million. That was higher than our high-end guidance. Um, and as a result of the very, very solid delivery in the first half, we're increasing our full-year OCF forecast uh, to 235 to 290 million US dollars. Free cash flow in the second quarter was 50 million US dollars. And again, we are increasing our full year free cash flow guidance on the low side from $55 Brent at $135 million to on the high side at $75 Brent up to 195 million US dollars. And based upon the closing IPC share price on Friday last week, that translates into a free cash flow yield of somewhere between 18 and 26%. The balance sheet continues to strengthen. Uh, leverage it was down, our net debt position was down to just over $240 million at the end of the second quarter. And the leverage ratio continues to drop down to below 1.2 times at the end of June compared to three times at the end of 2020. We've also put in place some additional edges. Christoph will, will go through the details in his presentation and that satisfies all of our hedging requirements for 2021. And also we've been very active on, on the ESG side, very pleased to report uh, no material safety incidents during the, the second quarter. Uh, we've successfully secured the carbon offsets for 2021 on our five-year journey to reduce our net emissions intensity by 50%. And we've, obviously pub and we've also published our second sustainability uh, report alongside our second quarter results this morning. So to get into a little bit more detail, if we start with the production for the second quarter, as I stated in the highlights, 44,600 barrels of oil equivalent per day. And if you look at the chart, you can see that that production during the, the second quarter was above our high in guidance for the second quarter in succession. We've, in Canada, we've had very high uptime performance and reservoir performance across all of our assets. We've been ramping up our production on some of our conventional assets at Mooney um, and the Onion Lake Primary. And the planned maintenance shutdown that took place during the month of May was completed ahead of schedule and ahead of budget. So again, if you look at those strong production numbers, of course, it would have been even higher had we not had that turnaround during the second quarter. From the international assets, very good performance in Malaysia and France, and we took the decision to defer the Bertam shutdown from the second quarter to now later in the third quarter. But we would still have performed above top-end guidance had that shutdown gone ahead during the second quarter. And I think if you look to, to the production that we've seen um, in July, which sits outside the Q2, uh, we've had an early contribution from D prime. And you can see uh, from the chart on the right-hand side of the page here that things are going very well indeed. And we're seeing some encouraging initial results there. So what does that mean in terms of the, the full year guidance? Uh, we're in 
increasing. Our full year guidance now to in excess of 44,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. So more than 1,000 barrels oil equivalent per day upgrade from the first quarter guidance. Um, and we now expect to be exiting above 45,000 barrels a day, given the extra interest in Malaysia and the production ramp up at our Onion Lake Thermal D prime pad. In terms of operating cash flow, just to recap, when we gave our CMD guidance back in February, we were looking at a price range between $45 per barrel Brent on the low side and $65 per barrel Brent on the high side. And that gave a, a full year OCF guidance range on the high end of our production forecast of between 107 and 220 million US dollars. If we look at the second quarter, a cash flow generation of $67 million, that takes the first half cash flow generation to $135 million or 60% of our high case guidance. So clearly running um, ahead of expectation on the back of that strong production performance and tighter um, Canadian crude differentials. And that's really allowing us to, to now look forward and upgrade uh, our full year free cash flow guidance significantly. If we take out $55 per barrel for the second half on the low side, we expect to generate $100 million in the second half. And on the higher side, we're introducing a $75 per barrel upside case, which would add a further incremental $55 million US dollars, which takes a revised full year OCF guidance to now between 235 to 290 million US dollars. So to put that in context, our our low side $55 case cash flow generation is now ahead of our high side $65 case guidance that we gave at the beginning of the year. So very, very good um, cash flow generation in the first half feeding into that. As a result of the strong commodity price environment, um, we did discuss in our capital markets day in our Q1 results that we had uh, allowed for some long lead items on some uh, high return quick payback projects. And we've decided now to move forward with those and execute those during the fourth quarter. So we're increasing the capital expenditure budget by $36 million. We're gonna move forward and complete the drilling of the A15, A15 side track um, on our Bertam field in Malaysia during the fourth quarter. Whilst we have the, the rig on location, we're also gonna take the, the opportunity to upgrade some of our ESP pumps, three pumps are gonna be upsized. And in Canada, we're gonna go forward with our five well infill program at Onion Lake Thermal and also some additional uh, oil optimization projects uh, at Suffield Oil. We're not really gonna see much uh, impact on our 2021 production numbers, but what that will do is it should add uh, in excess of two and a half thousand barrels a day of production growth as we move into 2022. And taking into account the increased capital expenditure budget for this year, we're still able to, to upgrade significantly our full year free cash flow forecast. If we go back and look at the same oil price range for our OCF, 45 to 65 at the beginning of the year, we were looking at generating 39 to $155 million of free cash flow for the full year with close to $100 million in the first half alone, or two thirds of our full year high side guidance, 
looking forward at between 55 and 75 million dollars we expect to generate an extra 36 to 96 million dollars during the second half so that's allowing us to to increase that full year free cash flow guidance to now between 135 million dollars and 195 million dollars and that translates into a free cash flow yield of between 18% and 26%. So some exceptionally strong cash flow generation numbers um, and multiples. And when we turn now and look at our full year guidance, the, there's no changes to the 55 to $65 per barrel case. We guided back in February um, in excess of 600 to, to, to $900 million assuming an average production of 45,000 barrels a day over the five-year periods. With Brent prices strengthening, we've added a $75 per barrel sensitivity, which uplifts that free cash flow guidance over the five-year period to, to $1.2 billion. And if we look at the enterprise value of IPC uh, last Friday, less than $1 billion, that means we could fully liquidate the enterprise value of IPC current prices in less than five years. And of course, that gives us tremendous flexibility for stakeholder returns, debt reduction, share buybacks and dividends over the next five years, as well as funding um, our M&A activity and organic growth in the significant billion barrels of contingent resources that IPC holds on its books. So very strong Cash flow generation, if we also look at IPC from a value perspective, this is our year-end uh, reserves valuation just on our 2P reserves. So just our 270 million barrels of 2P reserves, no value to any of our contingent resources. And it was a pretty conservative price deck that was used at the end of last year. And we were looking at $48 per barrel Brent for this year, rising steadily to $57 per barrel in 2025. That translates into a net asset value of $1.3 billion, effective date 1st of January of this year, or 72nd share. And today IPC's shares are trading at just over 42nd share. So more than a 40% discount into a pretty conservative all price value on just our 2P reserves. So I think IPC also looks extremely attractive through the value lens. If we turn now and just take a quick walk through each of the, the individual assets starting in Canada um, with Suffield Oil, we can see if you look at the chart on the bottom right hand side of the screen, we've still got a very solid production performance, averaging above 8,000 barrels per day. Um, the outperformance continues to be driven by the N2N uh, alkaline surfactant polymer flood that we've got running. You can see from the blue chart on the top right-hand side of the slide that that project continues to, to run ahead of expectations and we're producing more oil today uh, than we were back in 2016 when this was in the hands of Synovus Energy. We don't have any major capital projects planned for, for this year, but we have added some additional optimization projects. We're going to convert one of the producers on our N2M project to, to a water injector and some optimization on our South Gibson field um, in Suffield. On the gas side, we've seen very strong Canadian gas prices through the, through the second quarter, and that's been driven 
by a combination of much higher than normal temperatures, um, which has held back injections into storage and storage levels have dropped below five-year averages. So really good gas prices through, through the summer season, which is normally much weaker. And of course, that's feeding through into much stronger cash flow generation from, from our gas assets. No new drilling at all um, on the gas properties, but still very active on the optimization front. And we're shooting to, to swab at least as, as many of the wells as we did in 2020, and we're well on track to achieve that uh, for the full year. So you can see current production on a spot basis is still averaging around close to 100 million standard cubic feet a day. So a really good job from the team on the ground and holding that production flat and offsetting any of those natural declines. Onion Lake Thermal, as I mentioned in, in the highlights, the, the shutdown uh, during May was successfully completed um, on schedule, on budget. That allowed, as part of that shutdown, one of the work scopes was to tie in the Onion Lake D-Prime well pad. The first three wells were started up during July, and we've seen some encouraging early performance. The remaining three wells are planned to come on stream during the, during the third quarter. Uh, so we should see production steadily grow to in excess of 1,500 barrels a day um, by the end of uh, 2021, uh, which should help feed into that exit rate guidance in excess of 45,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. In addition to that, we are now moving forward with the, the five well info project. You'll recall we had budgeted the long lead items for that project, but we wanted to see if all prices would stay firm through the, the first half before moving forward with that project. That's obviously happened, and we are now going to move forward with that project. And if you look at the, the numbers on, on this slide, uh, you can see why we're doing so. The break-even uh, on this investment in WCS terms is around 20 US dollars per barrel. And WCS today is trading at somewhere between 55 and 60 dollars per barrel. Rates of return with Brent at 55 dollars are in excess of 100 percent, um, and the payback is around one year at 55 dollars per barrel Brent. So clearly, with all prices where they are today, there's a very high return quick payback project. So we'll be moving forward with this in the fourth quarter, and that should help with some production growth as we move into 2022. Ferguson, minimal activity, no capital allocated to the Ferguson property. You'll recall that IPC acquired the Granite Company, which owned this asset in late 2019. Um, there is the potential to more than double production with multiple drilling locations already identified, and you can see those highlighted in yellow on the bottom right-hand side of this slide. The team has been very active and busy um, working on development plans, and that's likely to feature um, in our 2022 capital budget as we look to get started um, with the development of that field, having taken a pause during 2020 as a result of the weakness that we saw as part of the, the COVID pandemic. On the conventional side, we've also been ramping up some of our production at John Lake and Onion Lake Primary with improved WCS pricing. Um, Mooney, the, the EOR project, was also restarted during the second quarter with stronger WCS pr uh, pricing. And those have fed through into some of the increased production 
that we're now reguiding with um, both conventional and MUNI projects expecting to add about 1,800 barrels a day of production during the second half of 2021. Black Rod continues to perform very well. You'll recall we did drill uh, a third pilot well pair um, last year. The 1.4 kilometers in length, and we continue to see really good heat, heat conformance from the, from the heel to the toe of, of that well. And that's very important production. You can see on a spot basis, it's actually heading up towards 900 barrels per day, which is certainly ahead of where we expected at this point in time, notwithstanding the fact that we, we had to undertake a small pump repair um, a month ago. If we can sustain the productivity of well pair three at these levels, of course, that's important because it improves the overall well economics. We need to drill less wells and we can produce at higher rates and it means we have to drill, uh, construct less well pads. And that can obviously reduce costs and infrastructure costs, uh, reduces our environmental footprint and can actually feed into lowering the overall break even of this project. So continuing to see good and positive results from the, the third well pair at Blackrod. Turning now to the international assets, and if we start with Malaysia, been another phenomenal quarter with production uptime of 100% uh, through the quarter. Uh, we did complete the acquisition of the additional 25% interest from Petronas Charigali, effective from the 10th of April. So for most of the second quarter, you'll have seen a bump in our production of between 1,400 and 1,500 barrels a day on a net basis from the 10th of April. Part of the reason that we've increased our capital expenditure budget is to move forward with the execution of our A15 sidetrack well. And like Onion Lake Thermal, you're seeing some exceptional returns from this investment. The break-even Brent price for the A15 sidetrack is below $20 per barrel when Brent prices today are closer to, to $75. At $55 Brent, the rate of return is in excess of 150% and the payback is in one year. So we expect to, uh, to receive a payback on this at $75, certainly well below one year. So that well drilling is expected to take place during the fourth quarter of this year and won't really impact our production numbers until we move into 2022. What we're also going to do um, when the rig is on location is take the opportunity of that to increase uh, the pump size on three of our existing producers on the main part of the, the Bertam field. During the shutdown in the third quarter, we're planning to upgrade the liquid handling capacity of our FPSO it's going to be increased from 17,000 barrels a day to 24,000 barrels per day. And that will allow us to produce not only the A15 well, but those additional um, producers at higher liquid rates. And we expect incremental production adds um, from the A15 sidetrack in excess of 1,500 barrels a day and around 800 barrels per day uh, from the pump up sizing campaign. And again, if you look at the numbers, break-evens around $20 per barrel Brent, paybacks of one year, so very similar metrics to the infill drilling. And we'll be moving ahead with that once we've completed uh, the, the A15 sidetrack in Q4. 
Turning to, to France now, you look at the production chart, very, very, very steady production through the second quarter, a good performance from all the major producing fields. Our VGR project, which was responsible for the production uplift in the second half of 2019, continues to exceed pre-investment expectations. If you look at the production plot on the top right-hand side of this slide, you can see that we're producing effectively about 50% more on plateau than was in our simulation model. We've still not seen any water breakthrough from this well when it was simulated to, to come in Q3 of last year. And we're seeing a very good response from the conversion of VGR5 to a water injector, which is providing pressure support to the 113 well. So things still going very well in France and in particular with our Verla Gravel project. And turning now to our sustainability and ESG, alongside this morning's second quarter results, we're publishing our second sustainability report. And we've stepped up uh, the, the compliance with our GRI reporting standards, which is a global reporting standard. As part of that process, we conducted a company-wide materiality assessment at the beginning of this year. So that really does lift non-financial disclosure of IPC to, to a different level. It really is a, an excellent report. I would encourage everyone to, to read it. There's a huge amount of fantastic work that's been done across all of our business uh, units, and it's a great credit to all of those teams on the ground. And I would like to personally thank everyone for the great work that's been done. Just in terms of the highlights on, on our emissions, intensity reduction, the target to reduce by 50% through 2025. That's to be achieved through reducing our operations emissions and through carbon offsetting. And you can see we're making very good progress in, in achieving that aim. Uh, the 2020 net emissions, or sorry, our gross emissions, were down from 40 to 39 kilograms per BOE. We successfully doubled our offset, so from 50,000 to 100,000 tonnes in 2020, which reduced our net emissions intensity down to 33 kilograms per BOE, and we're well on track to meeting that net target by 2025 of 20 kilograms per BOE. So that concludes the operations update. I'd like to pass the presentation across now to to Christoph to run through some very nice financial numbers, and then we'll take questions at the end of both presentations. So Christoph, over to you. Thank you, Mike. Good morning, everyone. Indeed, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, a good, uh, it's a good quarter with a very solid financial performance. And uh, it's, uh, it's the second quarter in a row, which, uh, which I'm happy to, to, to be here again. Uh, 2020 was obviously a bit more challenging but we're, we're back on track, evidencing uh, IPC ability to generate very strong cash flows in a, in a higher oil price environment. And I think the first, um, the first important comment to make is the very strong operational performance across all of our assets, all of our geographies. We've seen a very high uptime, a very good uh, efficient operations from all the team around the world. So it's a, it's a tribute to them to see production averaging in excess of uh, 44,000 for the for the second quarter and averaging as well 
in excess of 44,000 BOE per day for the, for the first six months. Obviously carried by a very strong oil and gas price environment, the financial results are extremely strong as well for a second quarter in a row. And uh, it's worth mentioning, I'll come back to that, but despite the fact that on average for the first six months, the Brent was at uh, $65 per barrel, which, was in, which is in line with our high case during our, our capital market day guidance, the actual financial performance is much stronger thanks to better realized prices in, um, in Canada, both on the oil and on the gas side. So better operational performance ahead of our initial capital market day guidance, better financial performance as well, which, uh, which has led us to re-guide both the, the production guidance in excess of, uh, of where we were in excess of 44,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day for the, for the full year and as well increase both our operate, operational um, operations cash flow, but also our free cash flow generation for the, for the full year. And I'll, I'll come back to that. The, the very strong operating cash flow and EBITDA uh, at uh, 67 and 65 million US dollar for this quarter respectively, translated into a very strong uh, deleveraging as well. The free cash flow for the quarter is, um, is around 50 million US dollars, so 99 million US dollars of free cash flow for the first six months, which obviously has translated into a, a very fast deleveraging. As a, as a matter of fact, you may recall we are on net debt to EBITDA, so our leverage at year end last year was um, just around three times, and we're down to 1.2 times on, um, on a 12 month trading basis. So uh, a very fast deleveraging. As I was mentioning in terms of realized prices, even though the Brent average for the first six months was exactly at 65 in line with our high case uh, capital market day case, the realized prices were much stronger. And this is coming from the fact that in Canada, the WTI to WCS differential has tightened quite a bit and was around $12, much tighter than what we had in our, in, in our budget at 17. And so that translated into a WCS uh, average for the first six months of $50. And because we're selling uh, both our Suffield oil and Onion Lake oil production at one to, one to $3 discount to WCS, we had realized prices for Suffield and Onion Lake respectively at 49 and 47 US dollar per barrel, which was much stronger again, as I said, compared to, the, compared to, to, to our guidance. And, uh, and if you look even back at 2019, you can see that our realized prices in Canada are much stronger than, uh, than they were ever. So, so very, good, uh, very good performance there. In Malaysia, we, on average, we sold uh, two cargoes at uh, Brent Plus uh, premium of three US dollar per barrel. And France usually is exactly in line with Brent for some, uh, some timing differences, average one and a half dollar above Brent, but is usually in line with, uh, with Brent. On the, on the gas side, a very positive development there as well. Um, First, if you look at uh, the second quarter, so we 
we realized gas price sales in excess of uh, three Canadian dollar per MCF, which in itself is already the best performance ever since we acquired um, the, the Suffield gas asset. Now, almost more importantly, as um, as as the the the, the summer was uh, was fairly hot, there's been a lot of gas utilization generally in North America. And what that means is that there is less gas being injected in storage, which is usually what's happening during the summer phase, where we're actually building up uh, storage volumes for the winter to, to, heat, um, to heat people, especially in the North America and West Canada, West, uh, Western Canada in the, in the wintertime. Now, what's happening with that is because the, the summer has been, has been quite warm, there's a lot of gas utilization, which means also we anticipate there will be less gas available from storage in, um, in, the, in the winter, this winter. And so what that means as well is that when you look at the forward curve, it currently sits in excess of four Canadian dollar per MCF for next, uh, for next winter. So not only a very strong performance for Q2 now, but we're also very well positioned to continue to benefit from very strong gas realized prices. The, this slide on uh, operating cash flow and, uh, and EBITDA is very much, uh, is very much telling and uh, il illustrates uh, IPC ability to generate very, very strong cash flows in a, in a higher oil price environment. I mean, that's more or less the same for all oil and gas companies, but one of IPC specificities is that we're not paying for very little cash taxes, which means that together with a very solid control of our cost, we're able to, to generate those strong cash flows in a higher oil price environment. That also shows that we're very, we have a very strong talk towards higher oil prices and, um, and I'll, I'll come on again, but so we generated EBITDA and operating cash flow for the first six months in excess of 130, actually between 130 and 135 million US dollars during this, um, those, those first six months. The, the, the cost, the OPEX per barrel, that remains totally under control. Uh, what, what happens is that we're re-guiding the, um, the, the, the full year OPEX per barrels of oil equivalent from 14 and a half to 15 and a half. It is uh, mostly a conscious decision. What happened is that we're bringing back on stream some, uh, some higher cost production, which is uh, highly, highly valuable very, with very strong netbacks as we speak. So tiny, tiny, uh, tiny bit of increased OPEX there, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an objective and conscious decision. The other one is that we've increased activity again, to maintain and increase production overall. So again, a conscious decision which justifies um, slightly higher OPEX there. The only thing which is out of, outside of our control are increased electricity costs in, uh, in Canada. But obviously the flip side is that we're benefiting some, from some very strong and high gas prices as I just mentioned. So overall, a good story, costs remain under control and some of that, uh, some of that increase is um, is a conscious decision, still leading us to increase slightly our guidance for the full year at 15 and a half US dollar per, per barrel. Looking at the at the net back, it's a, it's it's a very interesting slide, especially if you compare that to our, our capital markets day guidance. We generated uh, for the first six months between 16.4 and 16.8 US dollar per BOE of EBITDA and operating cash flow. And that is actually $3 higher than our high case 
from our capital markets day. So we've been able, with the conscious decision to have slightly higher OPEX, to increase our profitability by more than uh, or just about three US dollar per BUE of uh, operating cash flow and EBITDA, which is uh, a, a very strong success. I was mentioning previously when you when you consider cash flows and our, our deleveraging effort, as you know, we are not sitting on cash, and so all of the cash which is being generated goes so far to repay debt and deleverage our company. What happened is that so we generated 99, call it 100 million US dollars of free cash flow during the first six months this year, and uh, that was all used to finance the, the debt reduction. Actually, 80 million were used to, to repay debt. So we went from 320 million down to 240 million of net debt from the end of last year to the end of June. And we're obviously continuing in, uh, in July and August to, to, to deleverage. The, the full 100 million didn't go into debt reduction because we had uh, a negative change in working capital, which is actually a positive just means that we have higher receivables as a result of higher production and higher oil and gas realized prices. So overall, a, a very good story. Now, if you think again about what Mike was just mentioning at the beginning of this presentation, we are reguiding the, the, the full year free cash flow to between 135 to 195. So if you want to be optimistic, roughly at current prices, we can expect to generate another 90 to 95 million US dollar of free cash flow. So everything being equal, if all this additional free cash flow was dedicated to debt repayments, which is our, our, our primary target as we speak, the net debt at year end could fall to 150 million US dollars. So a very strong balance sheet. Uh, we should be in a very strong situation again from a balance sheet perspective uh, with, a, with a very low gearing. The not only OPEX remain under control, as I mentioned, but GNA uh, are, are fairly flat year on year at roughly 12 million US dollar per annum, so roughly three between three, three million for by, by quarter or six for the, for the first six months. And uh, in terms of interest expenses, it's interesting to note that there is a double positive effect looking forward. As we are going to deleverage, we have less debt outstanding, so we're going to pay less interest mechanically. But also the, the second positive effect is that because some of our cost, uh, some of our cost of debt is linked to our leverage. So with an improved leverage, our cost of funding is going to reduce as well. So you, we can expect, you can expect a reduced cost of debt in, uh, in the third and fourth quarter this year. On the, the financial results, so we generated for the first six months just short of 280 million US dollar, which translates into roughly a 50% cash margin. So revenue less production costs is, uh, is roughly 50% of our revenue. So at a, at a very high level, which translated into gross and net profits of uh, respectively 72 and 49 million US dollars for the for the quarter for the quarter. Looking at the balance sheet, uh, not much to co comment upon, with the exception of current assets and current liabilities. So current liabilities increased as a result of increased activity, 
both on the OPEX and CAPEX fronts, but current assets increased far more faster uh, as a result, obviously, of higher production compared to last year, but also higher oil and realized gas prices. So we're expecting to receive uh, more money, uh, effectively, the end of um, the accrued the accrued revenues at the end of June, which were cashing in, uh, which we cashed in in July, have um, swollen a bit, which which is a positive. Everything being equal, if we were to stay at the same oil prices, we would um, we we would uh, we would see the change in working cap narrowing down, and so the 15 million US dollars negative working cap change would actually go to repay the debt by year end. So. We're very well placed to continue to aggressively deleverage. In terms of hedging, so there was the, the conscious decision not to hedge any of our Malaysian or French oil production. So we're benef we benefited during this uh, this first half of uh, the, the the market prices, and we will continue to do so because there's no oil hedging uh, for or French or Malaysian oil production. In, uh, in Canada, we had some, um, some bank covenants, which we met. Uh, that was about hedging 40%. Um, it was 25% in the first half and 40% of all production, oil production in Canada had to be hedged, which we, which we did. Now, our strategy was to put a floor at the high case of our capital markets day. So you know, in our capital markets day, we had 44 um for wcs so we managed to hedge exactly that level <clears throat> for the first uh, 5000 5000 barrels a day in canada actually we added another 3.3 thousand barrels a day but with with a collar meaning that between 44 and 63 us dollar per barrel for the wcs we're actually benefiting from the from the market price which is what's happening now as mike mentioned the, the WCS is trading between 55 and 60 now, so we're benefiting fully from that price, and we'll continue to do so in the in the, in the second half. On the gas side, as I said, so we had some um, some 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 gas sold forward or hedged for the for the second quarter. We just placed some. Um, we have no more oil hedging for 2022. But for the for the gas, we started to to layer in a bit of gas hedges for the for the first quarter next year, and we got the phenomenal. We managed to lock in the phenomenal level of uh, 440 mcf for the gas. So very well placed going into the the second half of this year and then into 2022 with an, an overall increasing production and still very strong prices in terms of. Uh, Hedging impact, we 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 had hedging losses of around 15.15 million US dollar for the first half this year. Everything being equal at the current prices, we would expect more or less the same um, hedging losses. So I think what we what we want to what I want to say here is that without any hedges, the free cash flow generation ability of IPC for the first half was not 100, but was actually 115 million US dollars. And so everything being equal, if you annualize that, it means that at current oil prices, we could uh, we could generate another 100 to 115 or 110 million US dollars without hedging and 10 to 15 less with the, the current hedges we, we have in place. But so overall, a very strong performance 
and uh, assets which are performing very, very well in higher oil price environment, including because we're paying virtually no taxes in, uh, in Canada and Malaysia and just a little bit in, um, in France. I will hand back the, the floor to Mike for a conclusion. Okay, thank you very much, Christoph. A great set of numbers. And just to, to, to go over the, the highlights again for the, the second quarter, I think it's been a very, very strong performance in terms of the operational delivery, as I've mentioned, second quarter in succession where we've performed above our high side production guidance, 44,600 barrels of oil equivalent per day for the second quarter, which is causing us to increase our full year guidance now to in excess of 44,000 barrels a day and our exit rate to above 45,000 barrels a day, which is a 2,000 barrels a day increase um, relative to our February guidance. As Christophs has touched on, we're slightly edging up our OPEX guidance to $15.50 per BOE for the full year. And we're also bringing forward some investments that would likely have taken place next year into the fourth quarter of this year in both Canada and Malaysia, Onion Lake Thermal and Bertam to add some high return quick payback projects to give us a production boost as we come into 2022. Very strong operational cash flow guidance for the second quarter, $67 million. And we're increasing that full year cash flow guidance to now between 235 and 290 million US dollars. And free cash flow of $50 million, $100 million for the first half means that we can increase our full year free cash flow guidance to between $135 million, assuming Brent prices fall to 55 in the second half or up to $195 million, assuming $75 Brent for the second half. And those translate into very attractive free cash flow yields of between 18 and 26% based upon our market cap on Friday. Christoph touched upon the deleveraging. Net debt was down to $240 million. The leverage ratio falls to just below 1.2 times by the end of the the second quarter, so materially down from three times at the end of last year. And we've got some additional hedges in place through the, the second half that meet all of our hedging requirements. And Christoph talked about the uplift, close to $15 million alone in the first half, had we not had those hedges in place. Again, very good performance on the ESG side, no material incidents to report during the first half. Um, our carbon offsets have been secured to, to increase or reduce our net emissions intensity uh, during the second quarter and through 2020. And we've published our second uh, sustainability report. And as I said, it's an excellent report. And I would encourage everyone to, to read the, the good initiatives that are ongoing within, within IPC. So that concludes the, the second quarter. Ask Christoph now to come up and join me, and we can open up and take some questions. Thank you. If you wish to ask a question, please dial zero one on your telephone keypads now to enter the queue. Once your name has been announced, you can ask your question. If you find it's answered before it's your turn to speak, you can dial zero two to cancel. And we have a couple of questions coming through so far. The first is from uh, Timo Siamen of SB 
one markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, good morning, Mike, and, uh, and Christopher, and thank you for the, the attack. Uh, a couple of questions uh, from me. I just wonder, first, uh, some high-level thoughts on, on, um, on, the, on the cash flow store here. Of course, you're, you're reducing your net debt uh, substantially here. And in the long term, uh, how do you think around dividend versus, versus growth? Uh, second question, um, a general industry question for Canada, actually. Do you see any cost inflation or are there any supplier bottlenecks uh, at all? And my, my, my third question, just uh, on the... Uh, your small OPEX um, or, or increased OPEX side. So, what's the split between high energy costs and also uh, the introduction of, of high cost production? Thank you. Okay, no, thank you, Tidor. I'll take the first two and then Christoph can take the um, the third question. In, in terms of the, the priorities between growth um, and dividends, or I, or I guess we can talk about share buybacks as well. I mean, I think we've, we, we haven't changed our long-term five-year business plan. And, and I think when you look at the, the cash flow generation that we've said, so between Brent prices of 55 and now up to $75 per barrel, the, that base business plan where we just liquidate our, our 2P reserves and produce on average 45,000 barrels a day over the next five years is going to allow us to generate somewhere between $600 million and $1.2 billion uh, of free cash flow on the, on, on the high side. So we can continue to invest in our 2P reserves base and some of our growth projects. But you know, at these higher oil prices, the, all the debt can be repaid in every single share and can, can be repurchased and we'll still have two thirds of our reserve base at the end of the five year period and a billion barrels of, of undeveloped resource. So we're not precluded from, from doing both is I guess the point I'd like to make. We've got huge financial flexibility to both pursue our growth opportunities and to return value to, to shareholders. And the second question I think was on the general cost environment and um, in, in Canada, Christoph will, will answer the more specific question um, on OPEX, but obviously we've seen higher gas prices feeding into higher electricity prices, but that's obviously a positive for us because we produce 100 million standard cubic feet a day of gas and we consume only 30. Um, so that's a net positive. When we look at the moving forward with the, um, the infill drilling project, the five wells, we haven't changed our guidance. Um, on that capex of $7 million from February. So we're not seeing any material in terms of the, the capital components of those investments that we're executing. And Christoph, on the OPEX. Uh... Yes, yeah, so on, the, on the OPEX, um, I, I think we, we mentioned, so what happened is that took the conscious decision to bring more production back on stream, some, some, of, some of which we, well, we shut in last year in the context of uh, much lower oil prices. So for instance, some of the conventional, including Mooney, uh, was uh, was restarted in, uh, in in April this year, and the consequence was to increase the um, the, the OPEX on on the units per, per barrel basis. Now we also uh, so that was a conscious decision. Another conscious decision was to to work or, so, or work over some wells to maintain or increase slightly production. So that was also uh, a conscious decision because that was providing with very very quick payback 
in the in the current oil price environment. What what was imposed on us was some higher electricity costs. Um, but again, the flip side of those increased electricity costs was the very high realized gas prices uh, we, we we saw during this first half, which is actually going to continue. Uh, as I just mentioned, when you look at the forward gas curve, it's actually increasing to well above four bucks per MCF during the the, the winter period. So we 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 are we are not uh, we are not embarrassed, if you wish, by this uh, slight OPEX per, per BOE increase. It's actually good news because we we bring more uh, production on stream at with, with very strong netbacks in the current environment. A bit counterintuitive. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Lars Amon of Armea. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, everyone. Congratulations to very strong results and, and uh, broad-based right guidance raised. Um, I have a question, and uh, you can imagine what I would like to ask more in depth is, we see that on a 12-month annualized basis, net debt to EBITDA is now going sub-1. On the last 12 months, it's just over 1, as you stated in the press release. And as you mentioned, Mike, is, is um, obviously you're going to produce a massive free cash flow amount over the next couple of years. So when is actually the starting time to buy back the shares? Because you increase free cash flow guidance despite more capex with major IRRs. So when should we hear more about when you're going to start a buyback or paying a divvy? Yeah, thank you very much, Lars, for the for the question. Very, very valid question. I mean, I think what we, we, we haven't changed um, our messaging at all in this point since the beginning of this year. I mean, we so we obviously started the year with debt levels that were you know, slightly on the high side coming through a, a rough 2000 and 20 and what we've said since the beginning of this year is the last time that we were in the market buying our shares back when that started in October of 2019 our leverage levels our actual leverage on a last 12 months basis was below one times now obviously things have progressed extremely well through the first half and we've seen net debt come down as you rightly say from three times to to 1.2 times and based upon the guidance that we've given on a forward-looking basis, provided all prices hold up, we will be dropping below one times in the, by, the end of the, by the end of the third quarter. And those were the levels the last time that we started a, a share buyback process. So I, I do understand that on, a, um, on an annualized basis, we're below one times, but I think we'd prefer to be just slightly more cautious and see the money in the bank and the debt levels down. Um, before we launch um, shareholder returns. So it means effectively that if, if oil prices or energy prices stay roughly where they are and we get the same fantastic uptime, that this is a talking point then for a cube three results. Well, I, I think what I'm saying is we'll certainly be below those <laughs> leverage levels where we, where we were doing share buybacks uh, last time large. So another question I have is on... Um, on, on these projects is obviously Malaysia, you mentioned you're going to drill A15, the side track, and with, what is the IRR on that one now in current oil price environment? Can you remind me on that? Mm -hmm. And then you're also going to do the ESPs, bigger ESPs. What is, what is the impact going into 2022 on that production? Because obviously will not be really affecting this year. 
and yeah. then also on Onion Lake is what kind of more projects like in Onion Lake of more drilling, more pads, actually what can we expect there looking out, let's say, 12 months. Okay, no, thanks, Lars. So, yeah, so just as a recap, the, so the investment, $22 million of CapEx for the A15 sidetrack. Um, and the rates of return on that project, which we disclose a $55 per barrel Brent, are around 150%. So, obviously, with all prices above $70, um, one can expect well in excess of 150% rate of return. If you look at it in terms yeah. of in terms of break even, less than twenty dollars a barrel. And that well will be producing in excess of fifteen hundred barrels a day of production when that comes on stream. So you know payback which is, sorry, interrupting you. Which is which is effectively now as you own hundred percent of Bertram in the in the FPSA and in the field is fully obviously now um, with IPCO, right? That's 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 exactly right, Lars. Yeah, that's correct. So and then likewise, very similar metrics for the for the pump up sizing campaign. So twenty dollars per barrel break even, Brent, greater than one hundred twenty five percent rate of return at fifty five dollars, Brent. So obviously at current price is well in excess of that, and again a payback of around a year at fifty five dollars. So under a year um, to return the cash um, at current oil prices, and that adds incremental production on average of about eight hundred barrels a day um, for next year and that reflects the the 100 percent interest um as well third question so, sorry one more one more question then is on uh, on the final one for me to leave let's leave time for everyone else is on the um on um, the site in canada is um on the hedging side so Christoph mentioned that there was obviously some uh, some uh, hedging being put upon you because of your debt. Um, how is that really going to develop, and and what is the relaxation of that? And is a strategy actually on the oil side to be completely unhedged going forward? And uh, Christoph mentioned very very high strong lock in of uh, over four dollars on the gas side. What is the strategy on the gas side hedging going forward? Yeah. So uh, in, t in terms of bank covenants uh, going into 2022, we, we no longer have any covenants. Uh, it's a, it's a semi-annual discussion with, uh, with our banks. So the, the discussion and the subject will, uh, will come up again, but obviously with the, the strong deleveraging and repayment, I think uh, we will be in a, in a, in a position maybe to, 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 to decide uh, a bit more from, from our end. The logic, as, as I was trying to explain uh, for the for the oil hedges in Canada was to secure at least the the level we had in our high case for which we disclosed at our capital markets day. So at the time was 44 uh, US dollar per barrel for WCS. So that that was the logic to 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 pick that uh, that level, and we were able to 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 have that level secured for the for the 40 percent uh, for the second half this year, which was imposed on us. Going, going, going forward, I mean, we, we always have that discussion. It's an ongoing discussion. Um, it also depends on how much cash we have to use to, we need to repay the banks. It, uh, it may in the future depend on how much cash we commit to return to shareholders, which we want to secure and hence uh, secure a minimum oil price level. It can depend on the level of capex and we want to, that we want to ensure to be able to, to, to finance. So there's always a good reason 
to have that discussion, the strategic discussion to ensure we generate enough free cash flows to, to, to come up with, um, with the, the funding of uh, the, the, the different uh, use of capital. In terms of gas. And so, yeah, so, yeah, exactly, on gas, please. Yeah, on gas. The, what, what, what's happening in any case, we're quote unquote producing too much gas to sell everything on the spot. So at the very least, we have to hedge one month ahead, 70, 80% of our, of our production. Uh, now, when we see uh, when we see market windows opening like the one we're in now, where we can uh, where we can secure uh, hedges or forward sales at the level uh, which we've never experienced before, frankly, since we, we moved into Canada. Uh, the general the general strategies that we we give ourselves the flexibility to hedge with the the board support to hedge up to 50% or to sell forward up to 50% of our, of our gas especially at the at those level um, and, and and keep probably 50% on hedge that would be the, the 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 rule of thumb bearing in mind again we've just locked in so 440 uh, in the in the last uh, in the last two to three years. When we were running our we were running our budgets at between 250 and 275, so those are significantly higher numbers and almost go straight into the bottom line. As you mentioned, Christophe, um, that you had tremendous pricing now in a forward. Would you would be would you be ready to hedge as much possible in the gas side? And just keep the oil open, or or do you think it's just the strategy-wise is enough? What you just did? Yeah, 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 yeah. Large. I mean, I think as, as Christoph has said, uh, you know, it's always a, a balancing decision with the, the target to get up to fifty percent. Um, I think there are some quite interesting dynamics, and we're you know we're, we're seeing storage lack of storage injection through the summer, where normally um, storage levels would be filling back up. In anticipation of the much stronger winter demand season, so I think I think we'd still like to to have some exposure to potentially tighter gas markets in the winter. So right now, I think a balance between 50% is is still a prudent level. It gives our our investors a bit of exposure should we see winter tightness materialize. A cold, a cold winter could really send gas prices in January February very very high. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Lars. Thank you. As we have uh, one further question on the phones, just to remind the participants, if you do wish to ask a question, please dial zero one now. And the last question currently in the phone queue is from the line of Ruben Dewar at Jeffries. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Good morning, guys. It's Ruben at Jeffries. And thank you for taking my question. And um, well done on the strong quarter. This is a very quick application one for me. You mentioned gas price realization is coming towards four dollars twenty yeah, going again into twenty twenty one, I believe. Are these the type of realizations you would expect to see throughout twenty twenty two given the low storage levels you mentioned? Thank you very much. So yeah, Ruben, sorry, it was the, the line quality was was very poor. Could you try one more time or maybe send it via messaging to to Rebecca? Yeah, sorry. Um I just want to clarify on my gas price realizations. So you, you mentioned that um, the, the levels are pointing towards four dollars per MCF going towards the end of 2021. I mean, the type of realization you'd expect to see throughout 2022, given the low storage levels you mentioned. So, Ruben was just asking, what sort of gas price would we expect to see in 
2022, given the low loans that we've just sat previously and the $4 that we've been able to head to. Okay, 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 yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, sorry, just the line quality, Ruben, was, was very bad. I mean, if we if we look right now, like obviously there's there's a difference between winter pricing and summer pricing, but the latest numbers, if I recall correctly, for full year strip um, for EcoGas next year, you know, you're you're looking at around three dollars twenty to three dollars thirty um, per MCF. So to put that in context, as Christoph's mentioned, our kind of base case CMD planning assumption over the last two to three years has been around two dollars fifty. So it's uh it's a decent uptick from from historical levels. Okay, thank you very much. I'm sorry about the line. That's okay. <laughs> and as there are no further questions on the phones at this time, I'll hand out the floor to Mike. Okay. Yep, we've got a few web questions here. I'm going to skip all the questions on buybacks and dividends because I should ask the capital allocation. So. First question, Mike, given the CapEx increase to 2021, do you maintain the cumulative figure from 21 to 25 of 250 million? Yeah, okay. Now, the short answer to that one is, is yes, we, we do. As I mentioned in the presentation, if you go back and look at our Capital Markets Day presentation, you know, we did set a very limited capital expenditure budget um, deliberately this year to, to maximise our free cash flow generation at lower oil prices. And what we saw is a step up in capital expenditure into 2022. So essentially what we are doing by moving forward with the Malaysian and the Canadian investment programs in Q4 this year is bringing a portion of that capital forward. So, so the short answer is there's no increase in that long-term guidance. Thank you. Um, Christoph, why has EBITDA not increased versus Q1 if there's a higher WCS and slightly higher operating costs for yeah, so operating cost obviously is one uh, is one element. The other one being the the hedges the hedging losses, whether we registered uh, almost 11 million of um, of uh, 11 million US dollars in Q2 of hedging losses. So, so I guess the free cash flow generation of 50 million, if we've been, been on hedge, would have been more like 61 million dollars in Q2. So I think that does underpin the uh, the financial generation capacity of the assets going forward. Yeah. So we, we would expect so it, it was 15 for overall for the first uh, six months, and uh, we would expect more or less the same level as uh, as current oil prices stand. And those are factored into the free cash flow guidance up to 195. Yeah, so unhedged, the the, the full year guidance uh, would uh, would have increased by almost 30 million. We're talking in the in the high case 225. Yeah. Um, we do have a question on how does we have more or less. Yeah, we, yeah, we're almost in the same situation in Malaysia with some yeah. uh, so a, a good tax position, meaning no tax payment, and there's a limited tax payment in in France. Yeah. 
Um, there is just one more on capitalization I wouldn't mind. Is your plan to reduce debt to zero before returning any cash back to shareholders? There, no, there's no firm plan to get to zero before shareholder returns commence. As I mentioned, the back in 2019, leverage was just below one times when we um, when we commenced our share buyback program, and we should drop to those levels during the third quarter. Thank you. And uh, can we expect a ramp up in capex for BlackRock in 2022? I think 2022 is probably on the early side. Um, I mean, we've seen very encouraging production performance from the from the pilot well results, but we want to see that those plateau levels uh, sustained for a period. So I think um, 2022 would perhaps be on the early side to to, to start serious development expenditure. Okay. Um, and on the M&A, what are your thoughts on buying producing assets? What sort of size production needs to be looking at? We, ne we never set ourselves uh, a target on, on production levels, but I guess to go into, if we decide to go into a new jurisdiction, there obviously has to be something that's going to be material for the for the company. But you know, still, we genuinely believe that IPC is well positioned to benefit from the the whole energy transition, and we've definitely seen an uptick in in the number of assets that are coming onto the market from the majors, but also coming out of private hands that have been perhaps gone outside the original investment horizon so you know i think um i think the the strategy of acquiring producing assets um and then applying our operational expertise to those assets has been um, very very successful and you know we still remain very um opportunistic and still quite excited to play a role in further m a on on the production asset side okay so um I think that's all the time we have for questions. So apologies if anyone feels like their question hasn't been answered. Please feel free to email me separately and um, we can certainly follow up. Um, but otherwise, I think <laughs> Yeah. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much for everyone who's tuned in this morning. I think it's been an exceptional second quarter and I think things are obviously continuing that momentum through the third quarter with continued strong oil prices and and some production ads. So we look forward to uh, to presenting the Q3 results in, in early November. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.